inside 10. To go at seven, here's seven. They want to go right now. Richmond with five, with four. Pulls back, tries a three. Bullseye! You can't finish the half any better if you're Seton Hall. A big time lift going into the break. And that three-pointer by Kaderi Richmond would catapult Seton Hall into halftime against St. John's with a five-point lead. That would carry over into the second half. All part of a 17-2 run by the Pirates. A 28-10 run overall from the first half to the second half. The Pirates would run the Johnnies right back to Queens with an 88-66 win on New Year's Eve. That was Jack Benjamin and Jim Spornarkle on the call for FS1. And on that note, Happy New Year. And thanks for downloading and listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DiNovellis, and that's where we begin this episode, our first of 2023. Seton Hall ending 2022 on a high, their first Big East win of the season. They're now one in three, and Shaheen Holloway picks up his first Big East win of his coaching career. Meanwhile, on the other side of the Hudson, St. John's is licking their wounds, losers of three straight. They fall to one and three, but two teams, it appears, trending in opposite directions. Really, it's the same old Johnnies, right? No fight, no punch, poor shot selection. And when the going gets tough, the tough fold up like a cheap card table in my parents' basement. Even their senior center, Joel Soriano, said it. If you don't take my words for it, here's what he said after the game. They had more fight than us. We have to play with more heart. When adversity hits, we have to be more tougher. Those aren't my words. Those are Soriano's. And here's more from the St. John's locker room. Here's Mike Anderson, the head coach and what he had to say following the Johnny's third straight Big East loss. I thought the physicality, they just physically took it. They were getting every loose ball. It seemed like we came up short on everything. And even when we had opportunities to the basket, uh, uh, we didn't finish. We got to get tougher. That's the bottom line. I mean, we can sit here and go through all the, if you want to go through all the questions and all that, we got to be a lot more tougher. Things were going really well early on, First eight minutes into the game, St. John's jumping out to an 18-8 lead. Andre Corbello picks Al Daw's pocket up ahead to David Jones for a layup and one. Timeout. St. John's fans are on their feet. St. John's up 10 with a chance to go up 11. I mean, Soriano and and David Jones were, were heading for, you know, 25-point games between the two of them. Soriano had 10. Jones had eight off the bench. But that was a sign of things to come. Because if you think about it, those two were really the only two Johnnies that came to play. But still, fast forward to seven minutes to go in the first half. We're 13 minutes into the game. St. John's led 29-20. The pace was going their way. They were turning Seton Hall over. 
They were scoring inside. They were scoring outside. They were getting points on the break. They were playing St. John's basketball. And then from that point on, everything turned. SHU was pounding the ball to Tyree Samuel inside. He was going to the free throw line. He missed a couple, but he was getting points. One of two, one of two, right? We know that routine, Seton Hall fans. But they were getting fouls. They were getting inside. And then that turned things over on the outside. Al Dawes, rhythm shooter, four of eight in the first half. All 12 of his points were from beyond the arc. And Seton Hall was turning over St. John's. Femio Decale, steal, layup. Dawes from the outside, fast break layups. Samuel on the inside, game tied at 37. The Prudential Center's on their feet, the crowd's into the game. And then the last pivotal two and a half minutes of the first half, St. John's goes scoreless. Seton Hall gets a layup from Samuel. St. John's miss, miss. Seton Hall holds for one shot. Kaderi Richmond says, ah, Joel Soriano, you're going to lay off me and allow me to shoot the three? We know he's not a great three-point shooter, but on this night, the ball was falling from the outside for Seton Hall. Richmond hits the three. The place erupts. Seton Hall ends the half on a 5-0 run. What was the significance of that shot as Seton Hall went into the halftime? Would that momentum carry over? As things developed in the second half, Seton Hall picked up right where they left off. They started the second half. Al Dawes hits a three. They go on a 12-2 run. In total, a 17-2 run. What was once a 37-37 ball game turned into a 54-39 Seton Hall lead. And they never looked back from there. What was the significance of that run? I asked that to Coach Holloway. Here was his response. I thought it was good for us, right? If you look at the Marquette game, you know, we came back in the first half and then we gave up that big three at the end, right? And, and that, that big three at the end that we gave up, you know, it led to the second half. You know, I thought this game, you know, we got some stops down the stretch in the first half and it carried over. Look, both of these teams were supposed to be desperate. And at the beginning of the game, it looked like we were going to have a rock fight, as Mike Anderson likes to call it, a street fight. It looked like we were heading for, you know, 58, 56, 61, 60. But the ball started falling Seton Hall's way. St. John's defense was nowhere to be found. Outside of Soriano, and Jones, where was the production from St. John's? Who showed up? I mean, for a couple of minutes in the second half, Andre Corbello looked like he was going to heat up, but it was when St. John's was already down in that game by double digits. Soriano finished with 23 and 11, tied his career high with 23 points. His 12th double-double of the season, Leads the NCAA. He did his part. I love Soriano. I've said it on this podcast before. I have fallen in love with his game this season. 
ever since he was a double-double machine in the Dominican Republic over the summer, that has carried over into this season. He is playing like a first-team All-Big East player. And if he gets it at the end of the year, he will have earned it in a league that has some very good centers. Okay? Right now, I would put him on that list of first-team All-Big East players. David Jones didn't score 20 or 22. He had a quiet 12 and 8. But in the first half, he erupted off that bench with eight points in a matter of four minutes because he can do things like that. Where was everybody else? Where was Posh Alexander, your preseason second team, all Big East selection, former Big East defensive player of the year? All we heard about all summer was how Posh had worked on his shot. He was in the Dominican Republic, hitting one three after another. Man, something is wrong there. He's too good of a talent, too good of a player to be doing this night in and night out. One for six, two points, 0 for two from three. A total non-factor in this game on both ends of the floor. 2023, St. John's better hope that Posh Alexander finds his game. Because if not, they're heading for a ninth or 10th place finish in the Big East. He needs to pick up his game. He needs to find his offensive game. Look, Posh Alexander doesn't need to hit threes. He hasn't in his entire career. He doesn't need to hit threes to be an impact for this team. He doesn't need to hit threes to score. But he is in the midst of the worst season of his career. And it's wearing on him. Montez Mathis. There was a sequence in the game that Seton Hall was up 14 or 15, maybe more. But my point is, is Montez Mathis got the ball in the corner. Only 10 seconds had expired on the shot clock. And it was just one of those moments where Mathis just looked around, took a dribble, stepped back and fired up one of those, eh, what the heck, three-pointers. No. I mean, that's what sums up St. John's. There's no half-court offense. If they're not turning you over and coming down on the fast break and dunking it and laying it in and pressing you again and turning you over again, where's the offense, Mike Anderson? This team is a borderline disaster in a half-court offense outside of getting the ball inside to Soriano. There's no continuity. There's no chemistry. There's no rhythm. The shooting, the shot selection is just poor night in and night out. Mathis, three for 13, one for four from three. Adewusu, one for five, 0 for three from three. St. John's, four for 18 from three. I know Mike Anderson is coaching them. I know he's trying to motivate them. But when they go out there, it just looks like five guys running around looking for their shot. 
instead of looking to set up the best shot. Now, I bought into St. John's when they were 11-1. and one. I bought into this team. I felt like Soriano was a difference maker, and he is. I felt like Jones was the scorer they needed to replace Champagny. Now it looks like I'm wrong. He is not in Julian Champagny's class. Not that I tried to put him there, but they needed a bona fide scorer to replace the scoring of Champagny. And I thought they basically had that in Jones. He's a volume guy. He, he, he needs to put up shots. Very streaky. He's not Julian Champagny, but he can still help this team score. But outside of that, if this team is not getting you out there and, and, and turning you over, I, I just don't see where the offense comes from. And I bought into this team and their statistics. And wow, look at this. St. John's is the leading rebounding team in the Big East. Well, that's what happens when you play nobody. You play a bunch of low majors like Niagara and Central Connecticut and Merrimack and LIU. And of course, you're going to out-rebound them. They're the number one rebounding team in the Big East because they feasted on those lightweights. Seton Hall manhandled St. John's in all the important categories. They out-rebounded them 42-32. to 32. SHU had more assists, more steals, more points in the paint. As of now on January 2nd, St. John's net is 102. They're 0-4 against quad one and quad twos. They do not have a quality win. Nothing to speak of. Where is this team going from here? There's one saving grace. There are 17 games left to see what they can do. See if they can right the ship. But right now, my father used to always say this. Sometimes you can't see the trees through the forest. And right now, St. John's can't even see their hand in front of them in a dense fog. If they put it up to their face, here are their next games on their schedule. Home to Marquette at Providence. That's what they're staring at this week. Two of the top four teams in the Big East. Home to Marquette. At Providence, can you win one of those? One. Then it's home to Butler at UConn, home to Villanova at the Garden, and at Creighton. Six games there. St. John's is one in three. Honestly, they could lose all six. And if that were the case, I don't know how Mike Anderson finishes the season. In my estimation, they will be favored in just one of those games. Home to Butler. I think they'll be an underdog to Marquette. I think they'll be an underdog to Villanova. If not, you know, you're only talking about maybe a one-point favorite. But without question, they will be favored in one of those games. I don't know if they're favored in any of those other games. It is a daunting uphill task for Mike Anderson and St. John's right now. They cannot look at the big picture. I just laid it out to you. It doesn't look good. All they can do is go back, get to work, and try to beat Marquette at home.
Can they? Of course they can. But they need to all buy in. And as Mike Anderson and Joel Soriano said, they need to get tougher. But it goes beyond that. You need to knock down shots. Okay, it's not just about toughness. It's not just about being physical. Yeah, that can win you games. But that's not the only reason. You have to be able to hit shots. You have to be able to take good shots. You have to be able to work for better shots. Are they capable of doing that under Mike Anderson? I don't think so, but we'll find out. This man is coaching for his job. I don't care what Mike Anderson has done in the past 20 years. Look, he has as impressive a resume as the majority of the Division I coaches out there. Okay, he's been to an Elite Eight. He's been to a Sweet 16. Several NCAA tournaments. He's never had a losing season in 20 years. But that doesn't matter anymore. He has not been to an NCAA tournament game at St. John's. The last time they went in 2019, Chris Mullen was the head coach. And oh, by the way, he got fired. This team is built to get to the NCAA tournament now. They have experience. They have a big man. They have guys who have won awards. They have upperclassmen. They are built to win now. If not, I'm sorry, Mike Anderson needs to go. And don't think for a second that St. John's fans aren't dreaming of a guy who's right next door in New Rochelle. Because Rick Patino, as much as he loves Iona and as much as he says, and rightfully so, how thankful he is to be coaching again, coaching in New York, no matter where it is, he's coaching. But let's face it, Rick Patino has coached at the highest levels. He's won national championships. He's won at every stop he's ever had. He's won conference championships national championships he's not going to do that at iona so you better get him now the rumors are out there georgetown could be looking for a head coach i i think they will sooner rather than later st john's could be looking for a head coach remember when rutgers was oh so close a signature away, a living room visit and signature away of signing Jay Wright as their head coach. And Villanova had Steve Lapis. And they were winning, but they weren't where Villanova wanted to be. But when Villanova got wind that Rutgers was going to hire Jay Wright from Hofstra, what'd they do? They fired Lapis, who was winning, but not winning enough. And they hired Jay Wright right from under Rutgers. We could have that same situation with a lot of differences, but a lot of similarities with Rick Patino. Rick Patino will be coaching somewhere other than Iona next year. He's not getting any younger. He still has the passion. He can still do it with that vigor. And you better believe that he will recruit. So, do you want to move forward 
with Mike Anderson and his winning record? Is he the guy that can take you to the NCAA tournament again? Georgetown's going to go after him more than likely. What is St. John's going to do? The ball is in Mike Anderson's court. Get on a winning streak. Get these players to buy into your system. Win games. Get to the NCAA tournament. And it's unlikely St. John's will be looking for a new head coach. Do I think that will happen? No. I think Mike Anderson's days are numbered. I don't know if he can turn this team around with his system. It's good enough to win some games on any given night. It's good enough to maybe, you know, shock a Marquette or or maybe, maybe somehow get UConn in a game and who knows? St. John's could beat UConn at the Garden. It could happen. But to do it over 20 games in the Big East, I, I don't see how he does it. I don't see how he gets this team to an NCAA tournament. I'll talk to you about it at the end of the season. And if I'm wrong, I'll tell you I was wrong. I think the race for Rick Pitino is on. And Georgetown and St. John's are in a sprint to try to get him. Now, if Mike Anderson does not survive the end of the season, and if he is let go by St. John's at the end of the season, Rick Pitino won't be the only name that you'll hear associated with the St. John's job because there's another local product, Jared Grasso. College basketball fans know the name. He's a local guy from Syosset, went to St. Anthony's High School. He is the coach at Bryant, and he has done a remarkable job turning Bryant into a very good low major program. Last year, they won the NEC tournament. They were the NEC regular champions for the first time ever. They were the NEC conference tournament champions for the first time ever. They were led by Peter Kiss, the player of the year, if you recall. They went to the NCAA tournament for the first time ever at the Division I level. He is a rising name in Division I college basketball. Local ties, was a longtime assistant for Tim Clues and his lead recruiter at Iona. Also was an assistant at Fordham. So I get it. Rick Pitino isn't a slam dunk if St. John's were to let go of Mike Anderson. There will be other coaches out there that St. John's will pursue. In my opinion, they should go to Pitino first, see if he's interested, see what his price tag is. But they also need to take a look at Grasso. So those are really the two names that you'll most likely see most associated with St. John's if they move on from Mike Anderson at the end of the year, Rick Pitino and Jared Grasso. We'll see how the rest of the season shapes out. But right now, I don't think it looks good for Mike Anderson. And I don't see his way out of this outside of an amazing January and February and March run to the NCAA tournament. Now, for the other side of the equation, let's talk Seton Hall. I asked the players after the game, if they were relieved about finally getting a Big East victory. 
I thought I'd get a response immediately from Tyree Samuel or Al Dawes. And instead, to my surprise and to the surprise of every media member in that post-game press conference, Kaderi Richmond leaned forward and shocked everyone by saying this. Um, gotta get more. Yeah, yeah just gotta get more. Yeah, just gotta get more. I would yeah. say it's most definitely uh, some relief, but we know we're a good team and we have a ton of good guys, talented guys that are, you know that could ball out. So now I know talk is cheap, but when it comes from a player like Kaderi Richmond, who is arguably, no, not arguably, who is Seton Hall's most talented player. But he doesn't voice his opinion too often, even when prodded by media members. He says very little. Now, that could be just his personality. He's soft-spoken. But when he voluntarily steps forward to the mic and talks before Tyree Samuel and Al Dawes, that says a million words. I think this team is hungry. I think they may have turned a corner. It's a long season. There are still going to be peaks and valleys. But now you look ahead to Seton Hall's schedule. And you want more? The opportunity is there. So look at this week. At Creighton on Tuesday, home to Butler. Likely a split there. Then at Georgetown, at DePaul. You win three of those four games. Suddenly you're four and four with momentum hosting UConn. Hmm. Right back to 500 in the Big East, 11 and eight overall with 12 games remaining in the Big East. That's what Seton Hall is staring at. Can this team get to that point going into the UConn game? The fans think they can. I'm sure the players think they can, but you have to go out and win those games because as Shaheen Holloway said, this team needs to play every game like their backs are against the wall. Here was his quote after the game. I didn't like the way we came out in the beginning of the game. Um, I thought we came out the best as we see after the timeout and in the second half. Um, we just got to understand we got to play like that all the time. We got to play like our back is against the wall every game in this league. We, we show a lot of a lot of flashes, right? You know, we, we just got to put together. Like I said, we got to be more consistent. But I think if we consistent, you know, things like this happen, I think it's, it starts in practice. I tell these guys this all the time. It starts in practice. You, you can't win today's game today. You got to win today's game yesterday and then the day before. You know, um, and that's the same thing, you know, moving forward with Creighton. You know, tomorrow week we got to win. And then Monday we got to win. You know, we can't win it when we just, you know, step on the court teams in this league is way too good. This win over St. John showed what Seton Hall is capable of doing. Now, am I crazy enough to think that Seton Hall will score 88 points again this year? You know what? I'm going to go out publicly and say Seton Hall will not score 88 points in another game this year. That is their season high. I don't think they'll get that again. I'm not even sure they will score 80 points again this season. Maybe, but likely not. They are an offensively challenged team. Will they shoot 54% in a game like they did against St. John's? 
They can. Or 62% in the second half. They can. This was a total team effort where the ball was falling. And guess what? When shots start falling, the confidence grows. You're not thinking about it as much. You shoot in rhythm. Other guys see this. It gets contagious. That first half, Al Dawes, 12 points. Tyrese Samuel, 9 points, 7 rebounds. Femi Odakale, all five of his points in the first half. Those were the players that led the charge in the first half against St. John's. And then in the second half, it was guys like Kaderi Richmond, who finished with a magnificent all-around game. He was my player of the game. 19 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, 1 turnover, and 3 steals in 35 minutes. That is why Kaderi Richmond was predicted second team all Big East at the beginning of the season by the coaches. He's starting to show signs that he can do it more consistently. I think he's getting it. I think he's turned the corner. That's why he voiced his opinion during the press conference. He wants to win. Let's see if he continues to bring that night in and night out. And how about Dre Davis, the game he had? Because when Seton Hall was looking to other players and getting the ball inside, all he did was score 12 of his 14 points in the second half. And of course, Dawes continued to shine. He finished with a career-high 22 points in this game, was magnificent, obviously his best game in a, in a Pirate uniform. And here's what Holloway said after the game following Dawes' performance. I was a rhythm player. You know, he'd make a couple shots early, his rhythm was there. But like I said, I, I need how to be more aggressive going to the basket. You know, obviously he shot the ball well, and we need him to shoot the ball well. But we, we need him to do other things. We need him to create more. We need him to create, you know, and, and be more of a playmaker as well because he had that in him. You know, it can't just be Kadari, right? It got to be, I want him and Femi and Kadari on the court all the time to be three playmakers. And once they start clicking and gelling, I think that's when we can take the next step. Yeah, the coach wants to see more than just a three-point shooter. He wants to see a facilitator. He wants to see somebody who gets inside, and Dawes was doing that. Look, the ball isn't going to always fall. Seton Hall needs to win in other ways. And when they play defense the way they did against St. John's and confuse them, changing defenses, adding a zone in there, right? It's a work in progress. They played a 2-2-1. They mixed and matched. Kevin Willard often struggled doing that. He struggled getting his team to play a zone at times. They were able to mask it with a, with a magnificent matchup zone. Seton Hall did that very well under Willard. But know this, Shaheen Holloway is a defensive first guy. He's going to continue to add more wrinkles to their defense and find ways to confuse the other teams, knowing that his team is going to have to get points in other ways, all right, when the shot's not falling. Can they find their shots? Can they hit their threes like they did in this game? Can they make free throws like they did in this game? Oh, by the way, nobody complained about Seton Hall's free throw shooting because they were 15 of 20 at 75%. Shaheen Holloway will take that every game, every night, night in and night out. 
All right. But when you get contributions from Femi and Dre Davis, you need points off the bench like that. And from your starters, Trey Jackson, five minutes, zero points was a non-factor. But at some point, they're going to need him. They're also going to need Jameer Harris. You could see he had some open looks in the game. And when the ball was off by an inch, he's jumping around. He's upset. He wants it so bad that he's pressing. His form is off. He's rushing his shot. All he will need is one or two to go down to get his confidence back. I think at some point he'll find it. I just don't know when, nor does he. But something tells me that Shaheen Holloway is going to keep pounding him, keep putting him out there, and keep patting him on the butt and saying, keep working hard. This Seton Hall team can't afford to take time off during games. You heard Shaheen Holloway say it. They found the recipe. They found the ingredients. What can work? This team could easily be three and one in the Big East or two and two. They're one and three, but they're playing and trending in the right direction. So 2023 brings hope and positivity for Seton Hall. It brings more questions and doubt for St. John's. There are a lot of games left. A lot can happen. This week is going to be exciting in the Tri-State. Look at some of the games that are going on this week. I mean, UConn, people were ready to crown them national champions and Dan Hurley, coach of the year. And in one game at Xavier, I knew this was going to be a great game. I said Xavier had a good chance of winning that game. I really felt like they were going to win the game. A technical by Danny Hurley with two and a half minutes to go what was an awful time to get a technical. I understand that. And, and UConn fans, you can complain all you want. How can you give a, a coach a technical in that situation? Trust me. Do you watch Hurley during games? Do you see how much he rides the officials? Do you see the comments that he makes? Do you read lips? It's amazing. He hasn't been fined or, or gotten more teased this year, to be quite frank with you. All right? I am all for the energy. I am all for the enthusiasm. I am all for taking the lead of your coach and taking on his personality. But look, he's not the only one getting technicals. Andre Jackson got technicals in back-to-back -back games for trash talking and taunting. So it's rubbing off on his players. This can be a problem. That's not what ultimately lost the game for UConn. But it certainly didn't help. You can ride the officials. You can try to influence them. Shaheen Holloway did it in this game. He let his feelings be known to Pat Driscoll. And it worked in his favor. Dan Hurley needs to learn how to do it in a controlled manner. Stop the cursing, the insults. 
Words getting around. These officials have had it with Hurley. So you might see a shorter leash. But now, where does UConn go? How do they respond from their first loss of the season and everyone telling them how great they are? They were trending in this direction. Okay, fighting to beat Georgetown at home, fighting to beat Villanova. Coming back in the second half in both games. So now look at the week UConn has. At Providence, home to Creighton. What is the Dunkin' Donuts Center going to be like on Wednesday? Man, would I like to have a ticket to that game. Ed Cooley in Providence, 4-0 in the Big East. Them and Marquette are the two surprise teams in the Big East. All Ed Cooley does is lose five starters, throw in five new starters, and he's got Providence right back in the thick of things fighting for a Big East championship. I know it's January 2nd, but they're in first place, folks, and they are hosting the number four team in the country in Connecticut on Wednesday. That is the game of the week in the Big East, maybe in the country. That is must-watch TV. Now, how does UConn respond to that? Because these games aren't going to be easy, and then next week at Marquette, UConn could easily lose two of the next three games. I think they'll likely win two of three, but one and two wouldn't surprise me either. And then suddenly undefeated UConn would have three losses in the Big East just two weeks into conference play. How do you like them apples? So the road gets tougher for UConn. We'll see how they respond. And the road gets even tougher for Rutgers. The Scarlet Knights have regrouped. And they are on a winning streak following that loss to Seton Hall. They're rising in the net. They're number 20 in the net. And they visit number one Purdue on Monday. Can the Scarlet Knights pull off the magic that they did back in 2019, 2020, when the last game of the season, they went into Mackey Arena, what is consistently voted the toughest building in the Big Ten to play in. And they shocked Purdue back in 2020. And then, of course, you only have to go back to last year when Ron Harper Jr. hit the half-court shot, heard round college basketball, when Rutgers knocked off then number one Purdue at Jersey Mike's Arena. Such a fascinating game. Cliff Amore, how will he do against seven foot four Zach Eady, who right now is the leading candidate for National Player of the Year? He is the best player on the number one team in the country, averaging 22 points, 13 and a half rebounds a game for undefeated Purdue. Can Rutgers go into Mackey and win? Of course they can. Do I think they will? I think it's going to be close, but I think it's going to be a little uphill. Purdue will not take them for granted. They don't have great three-point shooters. But they have a very good team game. Matt Painter is doing one of the best jobs he's done in his career as head coach. 
They have the best big man in the country. It will be some test for Rutgers. And then after Purdue, Rutgers hosts Maryland on Thursday. The return of Kevin Willard to New Jersey. But they're not exactly coming in on a high. Did you see their first half against Michigan? Maryland scored 13 points. I saw the score come up. Michigan 44, Maryland 13. I swore it was a football game. I, I, I'm telling you. Michigan 44, Maryland 13. If you had said that to somebody, hey, did you see the Michigan-Maryland score? 44-13? Of course, they would have said the same thing. Football? No, basketball. 13 points and a half. Kevin Willard's teams have had some clunkers in the first half this year. 13 against Michigan, 20 against UCLA, 17 against Tennessee. It seems like it was another season when Maryland was 8-0 and ranked 13th in the country. That was just a few weeks ago. The same team that beat Miami by 18 points. A team that Rutgers lost to. The same Maryland team that beat Miami by 18 had 13 points at the half against Michigan. It will still be a story with a lot of headlines and a lot of storylines on Thursday when Maryland visits Rutgers. And then Rutgers hosts Iowa on Sunday. So that is Rutgers week. The next seven days. Three games in seven days. At Purdue, home to Maryland, home to Iowa. This is really getting fun. Tri-state basketball is heating up. College basketball is heating up. We are in conference play, and there are so many great games to watch night in and night out. I'm looking forward to this week. I want to see what Rutgers can do. I want to see if Seton Hall can go into Creighton and win there. I want to see how St. John's responds. Will they show fight? Will they show heart? Will they be able to win at home against Marquette? How will UConn respond from their first loss of the season? Man, this is going to be some week of college basketball in the Tri-State. That will do it, folks. I appreciate you listening as always. Remember, give us a like, give us a review, tell your friends about the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. As long as there are games, there will be shows, there will be games to talk about. Enjoy each and every one of them. And we'll see you real soon with another episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long. Hey.